The title of the series, That You May Believe, comes from um, a verse in the book of John. Now, John is, talk, John is a book that, in the Bible that talks about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, along with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's a really interesting book. It's written um, so different than those other three. Um, and and it's, it's just a kind of a fascinating book. And I think we see some of that really fascinating way that it's written. And we see how different it is in a couple of these verses that I want to read to us today that opens up our message. And in these verses, we're going to find this phrase, that you may believe. And so we're going to come to these verses. These are in uh, at the very end of the book. We're going to be in chapter 20 and then chapter uh, 21. So in this book that is, again, full of stories about Jesus's life, that tells the story of his life and his death and his resurrection, as the author of this book comes towards the end of the book, as he's kind of wrapping things up, he leaves us with these really fascinating and incredible words. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, we're going to come back to that verse in a few weeks, but what I want you to notice today and what really stuck out at me as I was writing this sermon this week is what the author is doing here. In these words, he's telling us that sometimes we don't have the whole picture we don't have all the information. And that seems to be okay with the author because he doubles down on this idea. So he says to us, he says, look, I'm coming to the end of this book and uh, I recognize that Jesus did all kinds of things. And he says, but I didn't record them. I didn't write them down. But what I did record is written that you may believe and that you may believe and have life in his name. That he doubles down on this idea that, hey, you don't have all the information. I'm not telling all the stories. You don't get the whole picture here. So in John 21, 25, he says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. What an incredible picture for us. That if he wrote down everything that Jesus did, that he still wouldn't have room for all of the books that would be written about Jesus. And so he's saying, look, I'm being honest with you. I'm telling you that this isn't the whole picture, that there's all kinds of other stuff going on. There's not, and, and so, so I look at this and I, and I read some of this and I begin to ask some questions. Because I mean, when we read it, we, we see this and we go, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. So, so the author, you're, you're saying to me, there's not enough room to write down all the things that Jesus did? And if you did try, you, you'd run out of room for all the books that would have to be written? And this seems strange to us. We live in a world where when a movie comes out, you can expect a sequel. It's weird for a movie to come out, even when it doesn't deserve it, to not be part of a trilogy. Or really what has happened recently is to not be part of a four-part series. But what we find here is different. What we find here is sort of a completely different set of expectations that the author says, yeah, I could have written a trilogy. I could have given you a three part or more. He says, I could have written so many books that it wouldn't have even, there wouldn't be enough room in the earth for all of the stories. 
He says, but here's the deal. This is a one volume work with no intention of adding to it. And then what he says is he's telling us that while he's giving us this information and that he won't give us more information, that he's telling his audience, I'm not going to write a sequel. I'm not going to write more stories. He's also clear that what we have is more than enough to make a decision, a choice, to believe in Jesus. Now look again at what he says about the words, the stories, and the signs that he does tell us about. He says, but these are written. So there's all of those stories that he didn't write. But he says, but these stories are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. As I thought about this, as I wrestled with this, I thought about the tension of that, the tension of belief amid uncertainty, the tension of belief amid unmet expectations, the tension of belief when we don't have the whole picture. And that tension is what I want us to recognize and what I want us to see today. As we come to a story earlier in the book of John, and in the story that we're looking at today, doubts, questions, not having the whole picture, some of the frustrations of that have a place in the story, showing us that even when we don't have all the answers, even when everything doesn't seem to be clear, there is a place for belief. That even when things are mysterious or unsure, unclear, we can still believe. And what we find in this story can help us wrestle with that uncertainty. That, that uncertainty that comes alongside the invitation to believe and the invitation to continue to believe. So if you go to John 11 with me, let's begin at verse 1 of this story. And let's see what we're going to learn here together. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, reading in John, we know that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were some of Jesus' closest friends. Um, they had one of those friendships that I have with a friend down the street and the kind of friendships that all of us kind of hope that we have one day where we can almost walk into each other's houses uninvited. There's just this deep level of friendship t taking place here. Friendships like that are the kind of friendships that you kind of go through everything together. We see that, that, that sometimes I think we separate Jesus from our world. We separate Jesus from the kind of relationships we have. But in this, we see that Jesus is invested in this deep relationship. Mary and Martha and Lazarus, spending time together, laughing together. But we know that in those kind of relationships where you're deeply invested, the kind of relationships where you spend that kind of time together, the kind of relationship where you could come over uninvited and just spend time together, that you're also in those kind of relationships going to experience suffering together. You're also going to be experiencing tragedy together. 
You're going to be in those moments in each other's lives when the thing to do is to just come over and be present and be there as a friend. I'm thankful if I've experienced some tragedy and some suffering over this last year that I've felt that kind of friendship. And I don't ever want to take that kind of friendship for granted. And I'm so thankful for it. And that's the kind of friendship that we see here that Jesus had with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So this story really isn't surprising to us that when Lazarus gets sick, that Mary and Martha know that they need to tell Jesus because he needs to come and be with his friend and be with them, be with his friends. So it makes how Jesus responded to this news a little bit surprising. Maybe not even a little bit surprising, maybe really surprising. If we thought about it even more, we'd probably say, man, what, what's going on here? Why, why would Jesus respond like this? So let, let's see what happens next. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Now I'm going to be honest with you that verses five and six have never really made a lot of sense to me at all. And I love that. I love that I have to wrestle to try to figure out what's going on here. Because when I read it, every time I read it, I think it's going to say, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he ran as fast as he could. He got to Bethany as quickly as he could. That's what I always think is coming next. No matter how many years I have read this story, no matter how many times I've preached on it, no matter how many times I've studied it, no matter how many times I've just picked it up to read it, every time I come to this verse, I'm expecting it to say that Jesus loved them so much when he heard he was sick, he ran as fast as he could, and he arrived there as quickly as possible. And every time that I think that, I'm struck that that's not what Jesus said at all. That instead what it says is that he loved them so much that when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And that is so perplexing. He loved them so much that he stayed where he was. Jesus didn't immediately pack up camp. He didn't even tell his disciples what he was doing. He didn't send a messenger, at least it doesn't tell us, that he sent a messenger to tell Mary Martha that he would be on his way. He just shuts down. He's just quiet. And instead, he waits two whole days until he finally left. But why? Why didn't Jesus go right away? And this is what's so cool and so fascinating about this story. Again, no matter how many times I've read it, no matter how many times I've researched it, no matter how, how many scholars I've read or people who have opinions on it, they're so varied that we, we really don't know. Now, there's some interesting theories about why Jesus stayed, and maybe let's just take a minute to look at those. Some scholars believe that Jesus spent those two days in prayer wrestling with the idea of going to Bethany because the problem was that Bethany was close to Jerusalem. And as we found out in the last couple of stories that we've read, that Jesus wasn't making a lot of friends in Jerusalem. In fact, he had a lot of enemies now. At this point in his ministry, people were upset with the way that Jesus did things. They were upset with the kind of things that Jesus said. They were upset with who Jesus claimed he was. And so this idea of Jesus being arrested, 
of Jesus potentially facing death was a very real possibility. And so some people say, well, Jesus was wrestling with this. Was it time to go? Was he afraid to go? Did, did, did he wonder, if I go to Bethany, if I, if I go and visit them, am I placing myself in proximity to the very enemies who are looking to take my life? And some scholars say, well, he was, he was fearful of that reality. Others say he knew that it wasn't yet time for that. As we'll look in Holy Week, we see that that's exactly what happens, but it wasn't yet time for that to take place, that there were other things that needed to happen first. And so there was this idea, and, and we see this, this is so fascinating. The disciples knew this. They knew this tension. They recognized that Jesus was in a really dangerous place. So they expressed their fear amid the uncertainty of what happens. Listen to John 11, what happens. In verse 8 it says, But Rabbi, so right after Jesus, sorry Jill, I know you're going to come back to me for a second here. Right after, sorry, right after uh, Jesus decides to go back to Judea, after that two-day wait, Again, this is then how his disciples respond. They say, but Rabbi, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? And then a few verses later in verse 16, then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. That to me is so honest and so real. Now you notice he didn't say it, Thomas didn't say that to, the, to, to Jesus, he said it to the other disciples. So I sort of imagine this picture. Jesus is with them, Jesus gets this messenger, this news. He holds on to the news of Lazarus uh, being sick, he holds on to it for a couple days. Uh, he finally gets to his disciples and he says, let's go, we, we need to go to Bethany. Everybody's going, what? What are you doing? And Jesus had already wrestled with this for a couple of days. He had already thought about the ramifications of going. Now the disciples have this, this is an immediate reaction. This is right now. They don't have the whole picture. They only have a sliver of the picture. And so they're reacting to what is taking place in this moment. Sometimes that's where we're at in life. We know what came before. We, we know the possibilities of what's to come, but the information that we have available to us is only in this moment. And sometimes those are the hardest places to be. And in those moments, their reactions are so telling. They look and they exemplify a fear in that moment. They show that they're afraid for Jesus. And, and, then, and then Thomas is honest with the other disciples, looking as Jesus is sort of walking that direction, looking to the others and going, well... Might as, go, might as well go with him and die too. You can sort of see everybody standing up and going, uh, and they just walk and they begin to go with Jesus. So we see this beginning here of this idea that, that they had fear amid that uncertainty. They had questions of, well, what if taking place? Because again, they don't have the whole picture and they don't have all the information. But this idea that Jesus was wrestling with the same fears as his disciples, that that's the reason they waited two days, is, is also not the only approach. In the conversation with his disciples, Jesus told them that he knew that Lazarus was dead. So in those two days that Jesus waited, Lazarus had gone from sick to death. Now, a belief at that time was the completion of death and body and soul 
took three days. Now, it sounds a bit weird to say because of how we think about things in our modern world, but maybe Jesus wanted to be sure that Lazarus was dead. Listen to what it says in John 11. It says, we continue in verse 11. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now, I I find this whole part of this story so compelling because we see all kinds of what ifs taking place here. Oh, what if Jesus was afraid? What if Jesus was praying? What what if Jesus spent those two days worried about going to Bethany? What, What if he had the same feelings that his disciples had felt in that time? uncertainty in the midst of that moment, not having the full picture of what was to come or what was to take place. And then you have this other opportunity or this other way of looking at things that that maybe Jesus was waiting. He knew that what was happening was that Lazarus was dying, so he waited to be clear about that. It seems to suggest that in the rest of these verses. He sort of knows what is happening. He knows that he now needs to go and that something is going to take place, miraculous is going to take place through Lazarus' life. So he needed to wait those two days. But all those what-ifs, all the tension, all the uncertainty there, plays such a vital role in what happens in this story. Because there are times we just don't have all the answers. Things aren't always clear. Whether it's the disciples and their what-ifs, or the perplexing wait by Jesus, this story invites us to lean into the tension of uncertainty amid faith. And that tension grows even more as we read. So let's continue. It says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Now, the key word, the key word that we find in Martha's response to Jesus is the same response by the disciples, and that's the word if the disciples what if was concerned with the idea what if we go her what if was concerned with what if you had come sooner and in both of this we find this tension of uncertainty amid belief in who jesus is what if what if we had done this what if i had made this choice What if we had done this instead? That all kinds of what ifs. We can can have all these what ifs. And I love that about this story. That I feel like there is an invitation to say it's okay to have some what ifs. It's okay to have a sense of uncertainty. It's okay to recognize that sometimes I don't have all the information. 
Sometimes, sometimes I don't know the whole story. And what ifs are all okay? What if we go? What if you had come sooner? So I want you to lean into the tension of that moment. I don't know what what if moments you're experiencing right now. If you're anything like me, I'm sure you have all kinds of tension, of uncertainty. You have all kinds of places that you're unsure of things. You're in places where you don't have the full picture. And that can be a really troubling place to be, or it can be a place where we activate our faith, where we accept that invitation to believe. Not in belief that the picture is all of a sudden going to become clear, but the belief that we can trust in God. And that's what we find here, right in the detention, right in the tension of that what if. As Martha confronts Jesus, what if you had been here sooner? Jesus has a conversation with her and it changes everything. Let's go to verse 23. It says this, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So she answers theologically to his question. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? So right here, excuse me, right here, we see this moment that, that she's asking these what-if questions. And then Jesus says, listen, Martha, your brother's going to rise again. I love that she answers again with this theological answer to him. She says, well, I, I know. I, I know he will, he will rise again, the resurrection of the last day. She answers about this belief commonly held by her people, that that resurrection would take place for all people someday. So she answers correct theologically. But Jesus isn't looking for a correct theological answer. He's not looking for her to say, okay, yeah, you know all the right beliefs. He's saying, what I want you to do is I want you to believe in me. You can have all the correct beliefs. You can have all the correct understandings. But he's saying, what I want you to have trust. What I want you to have is belief in me. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. All of this comes through me. And I love this story. I love this story because in it, we find Jesus affirming things. We find Jesus affirming fear. He affirmed doubt. He affirms sadness. He affirms loss. He affirms the uncertainty that she feels. Yet amid all of that, amid all of the fear, doubt, sadness, loss, uncertainty, what-if questions, Jesus invited Martha to believe. And that belief isn't that everything would go the way that she wanted to go. It's not the belief that Jesus would do everything that she expects him to do. It's the belief that sometimes we don't have all the answers. It's the beliefs that sometimes... We don't have the whole picture. It's the belief that sometimes in life, we're going to walk through seasons of fear, doubt, sadness, loss, uncertainty, but we can walk into the future with belief in Jesus. In Jesus, the promise of resurrection, life, the fullness of heaven, 
isn't something to be waited for. It's something to be experienced today. That's what he tells her. He says, listen, I want you to have belief. I want you to have trust. I want you to see that this incredible theological belief you have about your brother rising again, that you can experience that own kind of thing in your life today. That you can have hope about the future, even amid the uncertainty of this world today. So even with her questions unanswered, even sitting in that moment of fear and uncertainty, Martha believed. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. So Martha didn't know what would come next. Jesus met her right there in her uncertainty. And amid that uncertainty, she chose to believe. Again, not in what she wanted, but in who she believed. In a few weeks, we're going to see Jesus' disciples struggle with this too. The expectations of Jesus as king on a throne become the reality of a savior on a cross. They had all these expectations amid the uncertainty that they were facing that Jesus would end up on a throne. And he ends up as a savior on a cross. Lord, Messiah, Son of God, all begin to have new meanings. And they have new meanings here for Martha, the disciples, for everyone who puts their faith in Jesus. Now, I want you to see what happens next. This is super cool. Following this conversation, now that Martha has come to believe, she calls on Mary. She says this, After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Once again, we see the same kind of what-if question. This time it comes from Mary. So we have the disciples with their what-if questions. Now we have Martha with her what-if questions. Then we get Mary with her what-if questions. Each time Jesus responding in a different way. Seeing their fear, seeing their doubt, inviting them to believe. This time, though, Jesus responded differently. He revealed his incredible capacity to feel the emotions that we feel in one of the most beautiful verses in the entire scriptures. And then he did something showing he was who he claimed to be. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. 
Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Now, Lazarus is dead. That much we can be certain. She says, look, it's official. You, you waited long enough. He is clearly dead. And, and probably one of the strangest things that we read for her to say, there's going to be a bad odor here. Um, I mean, I, I try to think about this. Like Martha's saying, Jesus, um, my brother is, is decomposing. Like sometimes I think we need to sit back and like recognize what's happening in this moment. Like how, how odd this must seem. Like sometimes I think we read this, we get all spiritual about it. We don't see just the weirdness of this whole passage. Again, Jesus waited. Jesus gets there. Everybody complains to Jesus about what if you just come sooner? Then Jesus has this intense feeling of emotion, this sadness at what he had experienced. And then out of the blue, Jesus says, all right, well, roll back the stone. Let's see the guy. And everybody goes, whoa, dude, hold on a second. Um, I don't think you want to do that. Everybody is still sitting in all of this uncertainty. Now the what if is, what if we roll back the stone? Well, what if is you're going to smell something you don't want to smell, man. Like the what ifs are, are just all over the place now. But Jesus then asks one more question. He pivots this story again for us. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Wait, wait, wait. Who did he tell that to? Go back through the passage, try to see some of this. Now, he did, he did talk about the glory for, when he was talking to the disciples, he said, you know, you'll experience and see the glory. But this time it was Martha. And Jesus responds, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? I wonder how many other times Jesus said this. Maybe this is one of those things that John didn't feel he needed to write down over and over again. Maybe these are part of the other stories, the other signs, the other wonders. Maybe there are other moments in Jesus's life where he creates and and moves into and accepts the reality of tension, where there is death and there is suffering, there is real life, there are honest questions taking place. And Jesus says, listen, I'm gonna meet you in that mess. I'm going to come right alongside you when you don't know where that path is going. And he said, it's okay. I'm going to meet you right there. And I'm going to let you ask all your what if questions. I'm going to let you be frustrated and angry and uncertain. That's okay. And he says, but if you believe, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. If you believe, you're not going to see the whole picture. If you believe, everything's not going to all of a sudden become clear. He says, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. We don't always have all the answers. Sometimes our fears are realized. 
Sometimes death is experienced. Sometimes suffering takes place. Sometimes pain happens. Sometimes our what-if questions become more what-if questions. Yet amid all of that uncertainty is Jesus inviting us to believe. I keep coming back to this idea that we've been talking about a lot lately. It's because of Jesus, we experience the reality of heaven in our lives today. We've talked about this idea that exploring the way of Jesus, giving our lives to Jesus, asking Jesus to work in and through us through the power of the Holy Spirit means that what we know of heaven, what we know of the fullness, the completion of his grace and his love and mercy that because of our relationship with Jesus, because of the power of the Holy Spirit and the love of God in our lives, we will then see glimpses of the fullness of heaven in this world today. Some ways to say is we begin to see that that reality that we hope for being dragged into our existence in this moment here and now. And what, my, what I mean by that is that sometimes if we think of heaven as the fullness of love, We get glimpses of that love today. Sometimes when we think about the fullness of his grace and his mercy and his justice, we see glimpses of that in our world today, but we don't see all of it. That would be heaven. That would be the age to come. But this is where we are today. I don't have the answer for sometimes why we'd only get glimpses in certain places. All I know is that if we got all of those glimpses at the same time, that that would be heaven. But again, I don't know. We, We don't know. We don't have the whole picture. We don't know why God is waiting to restore this world, which is why the ancient people said this phrase, come Lord Jesus, that this has been a phrase uttered by people throughout the centuries who follow Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. I've had enough uncertainty. I've had enough waiting. I've had enough fear. I've had enough of the what if questions. But in that phrase, come Lord Jesus, is also the invitation to believe. To believe that we will see the glory of God. That we will see as we believe glimpses of the glory of God. That seems counterintuitive, but that's faith. It's been a part of the story for the church from the very beginning. Look, look at these words in the letters to the Hebrews, a, a congregation following Jesus. It says this, Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is the confidence in what we hope to see pass and assurance about what we do not see. Again, I don't have the whole picture. I can't see where the path is turning. But I can put hope and trust in my Savior. Because when I believe in Him, I will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, 
that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Imagine the disciples. Imagine Mary. Imagine Martha standing there. Even when we can't see everything clearly, we receive an invitation to believe. And when we believe the possibility of experiencing the miraculous amid our uncertainty, of experience the glory of God becomes the solid reality of our faith. Let's pray together. God, we are so thankful for these stories that show us that we are not alone and show us that we are not judged, that we are not less than because we have questions and doubts and uncertainties. God, thank you for meeting us in our what-if questions. Thank you for meeting us when we're frustrated, that things don't seem clear. Thank you for showing us that you are always with us and giving us the invitation to believe. And Thank you that as we believe, that we see glimpses of your goodness, your love, and your mercy and your grace pouring out of our lives and all over this world, revealing the reality of your glory. It's your name we pray. Amen.